Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring The Michael McCoy Show. All right, all right, all right, everybody. Hello and good afternoon. Thank you very much for tuning in to The Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145, Slam Radio. And man, it's been quite the ride. This is kind of a bittersweet show because the NBA season has concluded. That's right. We have a champion of the 19, I'm sorry, of the 2019-2020 NBA season. This season caps the longest in NBA history with a, with a, wow, just with, with a crazy, crazy storyline. And everybody knows about the restart that happened due to the stoppage back in March. And then the restart happening, and I believe in September because of the COVID situation and these guys deserve it, man. 365 days after the season began, the Los Angeles Lakers won the 2019-2020 NBA championship, their 17th in franchise history, tying the Boston Celtics for the most NBA championships in NBA history. They won a closeout in game, I'm sorry, a closeout game six yesterday, 106 to 93. And I mean, I believe the lead was up to 30 at one point. Um, wow, just uh, a dominant performance to say the least. LeBron James, LeBron James, I'm sorry, logged a triple double, uh, 28 points, 14 rebounds, and 10 assists to win his fourth finals MVP award and fourth ring. And I'm just sad all around because we don't have any more basketball. Well, pro basketball, because we got uh college basketball starting up and i'm really really excited about that especially with the product that the nba puts on the floor everybody that follows me on twitter knows i'm just not a a huge fan of the nba like i used to be it's a watered down version of what it was but um congrats to the lakers man they won it in six games and just uh to recap uh how the series kind of went um those six games uh, the Lakers took games one and two. All right. The Lakers take games one and two of the 2020 NBA finals. Uh, game one, 116 to 98. Anthony Davis with a dominating performance, flexing his muscles there, 34 points. Uh, game two, not much of a difference there. Uh, Lakers win that one by 10 points, 124 to 114. Heat showing some life in that game, showing some type of adjustments. And instead of getting completely blown out, they only lose by 10. And that game was a little bit more competitive. But then game three, instead of L.A. taking a dominant, you know, 3-0 lead and a stranglehold in the series, Miami Heat, uh, they show up and they show out. Jimmy Butler dominating that game with a 40-point triple-double, 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists, and he take that one 115 to 104. And there was some drama in that game, a little bit chirping back and forth. And it was exciting. That's exactly what the league needs. Game four, Lakers come back and they take a close one, 102 to 96. All of a sudden, the series is 3-1 and a stranglehold lead for the Lakers. But then game five comes around and uh, he take that one. All right, 111 to 108, a three-point victory. And Jimmy Butler also uh, coming away with a triple-double in that game. 35 points, 12 rebounds, and 11 assists. And then, of course, just last night, the Lakers close out the Heat in six games. Again, 106 to 93 with LeBron James, again, coming away with 28 points. And Bam Adebayo leading the way for the Heat with 25. And 
I mean, it had me thinking, man, like, I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know where it came from, but I'm going to tell you how this NBA Finals reminded me a lot of the 1999 NBA Finals. And I'm going to kind of take you back in time to that one. Um, the These series were very, very similar. I don't know if you guys can kind of remember that, but um, let's start from the beginning. In 1999 NBA Finals, New York Knicks versus the San Antonio Spurs. Wow, Greg Popovich coached San Antonio Spurs team takes on the upstart New York Knicks led by Jeff Van Gundy. So that series went five games, okay? And I'm thinking all along, I think it was around game two or maybe even game three that I'm thinking, you know what? This series reminds me a lot like the 1999 NBA Finals. And so if you think about it, like that year, the Knicks, okay, they were the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. And by the way, both seasons were cut short. Obviously, we all we all know what happened this season with COVID. The season was cut short. It was uh, suspended, okay? And then, obviously, there was a restart in September. The season literally took 365 days, a whole calendar year to finish, all right, to start and finish. And then in 1999, um, that season started late because of a lockout. So there were only 50 games played, okay? So that's something that's uh comparable right there and then of course you know i will start talking about the knicks the knicks were the eighth seed and if i'm not mistaken that is the only eighth seed to ever make an nba finals appearance okay they beat the number one seed in the eastern conference that year the miami heat and i think that game i'm sorry that series went uh five games i haven't pulled up here but um let me go ahead and look that up yeah, that series went that series went to uh, five games. The, the the Knicks finished with a 27 and 23 record, fourth in the Atlantic Division. And um, you know, they go through the playoffs and they did not have, yeah, here it is. First round, they win the series three to two against the Heat. The next round, they dominate the Atlanta Hawks, sweeping them 4-0. And then I remember this series, man. The NBA Eastern Conference Finals 4-2. Larry Johnson had that infamous four-point play in which he drains a three uh, in the waning moments. And I believe it was game five, I think. I'm not sure, but it was a huge game in the garden. My dad's a Knicks fan. I remember watching that game. He hits the free throw to go along with it. Um, Pacers were supposed to win that series big time. Big time were supposed to win that series, but they don't. They lose to the Knicks in six games. And so they make it to the NBA Finals, and they lose against the Spurs in five games, all right? So that's kind of like the Heat in this year's playoffs because no, the Heat were not an eighth seed, all right? But the similarity between the two, the similarities, plural, between the two are that they were a lower-seeded team, okay? Not even in a top three in the conference. Nobody was picking them really to even come out of the conference, especially not the Knicks. People had the Knicks losing, obviously, in the first round to the Heat, okay? That first-round series was 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 one of the best five game series I remember ever watching. If you guys remember Allen Houston hitting that floater in the lane in the old Miami arena to just silence that crowd. Um, I cannot remember if, I'll just, if that was the same series in which Jeff Van Gundy was holding on to Alonzo Mourning's ankle for dear life because him and uh, Larry Johnson decided to have a little patty cake fight uh, in one of the games. I can't remember if it was the same series or not, but 
Uh, maybe one of you guys can chime in on my Twitter account and help me out here. But everybody knows the battles that the Heat and Knicks had back in the day. And this series was no different. But those two teams were similar in that regard. Nobody was really picking the Heat this year to win the conference. Everybody pretty much had, for the most part, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks or the Boston Celtics, maybe the Toronto Raptors. But it was pretty much between Boston and uh, and Milwaukee with the reigning MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo obviously leading the way for them. So that's similar. And then you look at the other side, the Western Conference. And by the way, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145. In the other, um, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the Los Angeles Lakers versus the San Antonio Spurs. Now, both of those, let me see here. The, the 98-99 uh, San Antonio Spurs finished the season uh, 37-33, and 33, which was good for, let me go ahead and pull up the, the, uh, the standings. That was good for the best record in the Western Conference, okay? 37-13, and 13, best record in the Western Conference. And if I'm not mistaken, the Lakers had the best record in the Western Conference this season. Yes, they did, 52-19. and 19. So... Going into the finals, they were the dominating favorite in both in both series. Okay, you look at the Lakers this year. A lot of people had them winning the series in five. Some people said sweep. And if anybody was paying attention to basketball, you know that the Heat were not going to lay down lightly. And the Heat played basketball like no other team in the NBA because they really, really, really. And I look. I know people use this term, but a lot of people don't really put value into it. All right. Um, and they use the term very loosely, but the Heat really and truly play together. They play basketball the, the way it was meant to be played. And I can tell you right now, James Naismith is, is in literally in heaven, okay? Figuratively and literally speaking in heaven, watching that team play because they move the ball, they play defense, they run, they get back on defense. Uh, like I said, they share the ball. They always find the open man. And they hustle. That's how basketball was meant to be played, not this garbage five out offense. And, you know, uh, you have big men thinking that they're guards. I just I get it. That's the whole Euro thing. But um, I just no, get your ass down in the paint. And um, yeah, man, they, these two series were, were eerily, eerily similar. And get this both series. Um, the favorite to win the series, the Western Conference team, both won the first two games of the series. Games one and two, Knicks win game three, Heat win game three. Obviously, like I said, the 1999 NBA Finals finished in five games. So after it was 2-1, that was all she wrote. You know, San Antonio comes back and then they dominate the series. Uh, wasn't the case this year. Lakers went ahead, uh, lose that game three, but they win game four. Heat win game five. Lakers win game six. But just uh, an incredible effort, man. If you look at those rosters, I'm going to go ahead and remind uh you guys that you know can remember this far back the rosters were <clears throat> in a sense comparable as well because you look at that old san antonio team you got antonio daniels at point guard tim duncan okay who was in his second year if i'm not mistaken mario ellie a seasoned veteran shooting guard who was predicated you know his game was predicated on defense and maybe hitting some big shots every now and then sean elliott remember that memorial day game in which he hit uh, a three with Rashid Wallace just leaning all over him with his heels 
really standing out of bounds, but he was inbounds because his toes were inbounds. Hits that three falling out of bounds. Jaron Jackson, Avery Johnson, Steve Kerr, uh, Will Purdue, David Robinson, obviously, remember him. So two superstars, really, or one superstar and then a budding superstar uh, in, 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 uh, in Tim Duncan, okay? Because Avery Johnson, uh, I love the guy, but he was really nothing to write home about. He was, you know, a game manager from the point guard position. Same thing with the, you know, this version of the LA Lakers. You had two stars on that team those guys being LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And then you look at the, at the Knicks roster. Okay. That resembles a team, a gritty team like the Heat. that, you know, they played together. Obviously Patrick Ewing was literally, and I mean, literally on his last legs because he couldn't even go a whole game. It reminded me kind of of Dwayne Wade towards the end of his career, how he had kind of needed his knees drained every now and then. And whenever Dwayne Wade had a bad game, he would get his knees drained and, Whenever he got his knees drained, that very next game he was he looked like a like like a rookie. So Rick Brunson, Marcus Camby, Chris Childs, all right, Chris Dudley, who never got any playing time, Patrick Patrick Ewing, I just spoke about, Allen Houston, who came over from the the Detroit Pistons, Larry Johnson, uh, Latrell Sprewell, who. I compared to Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is an upgraded version of Latrell Spiro, guys. And if you guys didn't catch my wonderful explanation and comparison about the two in last week's show, go back and listen to it. The, uh, we're also on iTunes. So um, no disrespect to Jimmy. He's my favorite player in the NBA. But Jimmy, Jimmy Butler is 100% an upgraded version of Latrell Sprewell. And um, maybe I'll talk about it in the, in the next segment to refresh your your memory, but Kurt Thomas was a big part of that team. Charlie Ward. Uh, those were the pretty much, you know, the guys that were relied on most in that Jeff Van Gundy rotation. Now, if you look at it, that's probably as good of a roster. Okay. Because I named some guys, Kurt Thomas had a really good uh, run with those Knicks teams, you know, awesome, awesome mid-range jumper, reliable defender and rebounder. Latrell Sprewell, we all remember what he brought to the table. Allen Houston was one of the best snipers uh, in the NBA at that time. And like I said, if it wasn't for an aging and uh, hobbled Patrick Ewing, maybe that series would have been a little bit different. Maybe, maybe not the Knicks winning the series, who knows, but maybe would have gone, you know, six, maybe seven games. But those, those series were very similar, man. Very similar. The scoring in those series went as follows. If I have it, here we go. 1999 NBA Finals. So like I said, the Spurs won the first two games just like the Lakers did. Uh, here is the scoring. And this is kind of a trip if you um, compare today's NBA scoring versus, uh, you know, back then in the 90s. So game one, San Antonio wins 89-77. 89 77 tim duncan had 33 of those 89 points game two 80 to 67 spurs take that with tim duncan leading the way for san antonio 25 points latrell had 26 uh knicks win game three Allen houston goes off for 34 points david robinson 25 and then san antonio wins game uh four to go up 3-1 uh 96 to 89 uh Tim Duncan had 28 in that game Latroy had 26 and then of course the closeout game 78 to 77 woof 
Tim Duncan goes off for 31 and Latrell 35 points. Also had 10 rebounds in that game. You know what? I feel like making that comparison and bringing that old conversation up, not conversation, but, uh, and not definitely not old. Um, and I'm kind of proud of it because nobody else is talking about it. And I'm really, really surprised that these national media, you know, these pundits, these experts didn't kind of pick up on it. So I'm kind of glad that, um, that uh, that Jimmy Butler, Latrell Sprewell comparison, the only person you're really hearing that from is myself. So um, I'm going to go ahead and take a quick break, guys. Definitely some more NBA talk on the other side of the break. Just keep it locked and I'll be right back. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145, Slam Radio. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit stoptextsstoprex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. I mean, really, it really apologist. comes down to... I'm going to make an apologist image for you, bro, because everything that I say is, oh, but LeBron had to do this, and he had to jump over a car. Isn't LeBron the king? And again, LeBron jump over the Empire State Building? He probably could, but why probably, would he do it? Probably, but why doesn't he jump over the Empire State Building to win a slam dunk contest? Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Okay, and we're back. Thank you very much for sticking around with me throughout that last break. You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Talking some NBA basketball, and I mean, I'm kind of smiling through the tears here. No more basketball, no more pro basketball will be played until actually, you know what? Probably just a couple of months because I was reading something or maybe listening to something. I can't remember where I got the information from that uh, the NBA is probably trying to start up sometime early in 2021 to try and bring, you know, some normalcy back to their calendar as best they can. And, um, so they might be starting up in January or February, who knows, but we definitely have college basketball on the horizon for those that are Joneses for some real basketball. <laughs> and that being college basketball, everybody knows my frustration with the NBA lately, but um, yeah, uh, I was talking to NBA basketball in the last segment, and of course, congratulations to the 19, I'm sorry, I keep saying 19, to the 2019-2020 NBA champions for the 17th time in franchise history. The Los Angeles Lakers are crowned the best team in the NBA to come away winning the series against the Miami Heat, who put up a really good fight. All right, nobody nobody really had this series, unless you're Mickey Arison or Jimmy Butler or somebody that is really, really a hardcore Heat fan. Nobody had this series even going six games, okay? Um, after a while, you really kind of wanted to see it go six, seven games because of what would happen, you know? Or is are the Heat going to, you know, kind of upset everyone, or not everyone, but the Lakers and kind of spoil LeBron's plans of getting a, a fourth ring and a fourth MVP trophy, but that didn't come to fruition it was a good series, man. It was a good series, and it kind of makes you wonder what the Heat have next in store in terms of offseason plans and what they're going to do 
in terms of these free agents that they're talking about, you know, talking about maybe Brandon Beal and I heard Victor Oladipo, who knows, but I was talking about how this series reminded me a lot about the NBA finals in 1999 in the last segment. So something else that kind of came to my attention is the following. So this LA Lakers team, um, this is my hot take. I don't think that this LA Lakers version of the 2020 version of the Los Angeles Lakers, I don't think it really compares to uh, the Los Angeles Lakers teams that were led by Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol. I'm serious. I, re I really don't think that uh, this team is as good, definitely not better than those teams. I believe that those teams that won championships back in, what was it, 2009, 2010 with the Lakers, uh, th those teams were a lot deeper. They were a lot deeper. And it was one of those things where if someone got hurt, you didn't think it was over. Okay, now let me ask you this, Lakers fans or whoever uh, is a basketball head out there, if AD went down, this season for LA was over. If LeBron went down, this season for LA was over. That wasn't the case. That was not the case for the Lakers in 2009, 2010, when they were winning NBA championships over the, uh, the Orlando Magic and the... Uh, and the Boston Celtics, some really good series there with uh, with the Boston Celtics. And I'm going to go ahead and pull that up. Where is it? I want to I want to make here we go. NBA champions. Let's talk about that 2009-2010. Well, let's go 08-09 and talk about the 2009-2010 because they did win back-to-back -back championships. The rosters were pretty much identical, all right, except for maybe a couple changes. But Let's start with the 0809 team. And let's let's not forget that the season prior to them winning this championship, they absolutely got embarrassed by the Boston Celtics in six games, um, losing the 07 08 NBA finals to the 08, I'm sorry, to the Boston Celtics, uh, led by KG, Doc Rivers, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo. Okay, another congrats to him. That's a guy right there that I'm I'm super proud of, man. Because I, you know what I hate? I hate knee jerk reactions, man. I, I really do. People were ready to call, not ready to call, but they were calling LeBron. I keep saying LeBron. Rajon Rondo. They were calling him done, washed. Oh, there's he has no worth. This, that, and the third. Well, what the hell are you talking about? Do you not know that injuries do not really have a say in how effective someone's career has been okay let the injury happen let the guy come back and prove if he is back or not before saying that he's done Le uh, almost did it again almost called a lebron james rajon rondo really hadn't had a chance to do that he's injury prone sure but when he's in the game he's still effective now, when he gets in the game after an injury, okay, if he's not effective, go ahead and call him done then. He, that hasn't happened yet. That, is, that has yet to happen. So um, I know I got a little sidetracked there. I'm just, I, I kind of stand for Rajon Rondo. Love his game. Love his, his grittiness, his toughness. But going back to what I was saying about comparing these two LA Lakers squads, 07, 08, I'm sorry, 08, 09. So that team, let me read you this roster, okay? And you tell me which roster you'd rather have. So you got Trevor Ariza, baller, especially back then. A young Trevor Ariza was a problem. That was only his fourth year in the NBA. 
maybe fifth year in the NBA out of the UCLA, 6'8", 215, long defender, athlete, lanky, would hit a three for you, just just a drive. I mean, that Trevor Ariza back in the day was a problem. And you, 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 you think about it and you're practicing up against Kobe Bryant, you kind of learn how to become a dog, okay? And he had all the physical tools to do it. Shannon Brown was probably one of the most explosive athletes I had ever seen in my life. Okay, that guy would hawk you down and dunk on you and just make you look silly in his sleep athletically. Obviously, Kobe Bryant, Andrew Bynum was a problem when he was healthy and he had his head on right. He was a top center in the NBA, in my opinion. Okay, the guy had a a nice little jumper, a loss, a nice soft touch around the rim. And his his game with his back to the basket was very nice. His face up game was pretty good. Um Nice player. Jordan Farmar was a way better version than Mario Chalmers. Okay. And why I say that, because he hit clutch shots just like uh, uh, Rio did, except without the bonehead plays. I mean, ask any Heat fan out there. Mario Chalmers was just a liability (laughs) every now and then. I mean, the guy got yelled at by Chris Boss, Dwayne Wade, the fans, LeBron James, and he was like their little kid. But um, Jordan Farmar, Derek Fisher, we all know how his career went. Uh, Paul Gasol, Chris Mim really didn't do anything. Lamar Odom, obviously. Uh, Sasha Vujicic hit some clutch threes. Luke Walton was a nice guy off the bench. I mean, come on. That was a nice, that was a nice roster. That was the 08-09 version. That was the team that won the NBA Finals over the, uh, over the Orlando Magic, led by Dwight Howard, who now has a ring. By the way, who... Who said Dwight Howard would never win an NBA championship in Orlando, huh? You guys get the reference there? If you don't, then Jesus Christ, tune the channel. But um, the 2009-2010 version of the Los Angeles Lakers was not that different, okay? You still had Shannon Brown, Kobe Bryant, Andrew Bynum, Jordan Farmar, Derek Fisher, Pau Gasol, Lamar Odom, Sasha Vujicic, Luke Walton. But the biggest change on that team was no... Uh, no Trevor Ariza. You make a trade and you get Meta World Peace. Holy cow! And um, they win a they win a championship there. That that series going seven games, beating their arch nemesis Boston Celtics. Uh, like I said, it went seven games from two years ago. They got their avenge. Their event. They they get their revenge. I'm sorry, and avenge that loss. So um, yeah, I just don't think that this LA. Uh, this version of the LA Lakers stacks up against those led by Kobe Bryant. I believe that those teams were a lot deeper. Okay. I think they played a lot more together and I believe that their, their, their role players, those, those role players were better pieces to the puzzle. All right. You compare that team or those teams to this Los Angeles Lakers team who win. I'm, I'm not saying they're a bad team, but, uh, let me just read you the roster real quick. Contavious Caldwell Pope. Okay, nice player, but nobody that you really have to worry about. Obviously, Dwight Howard. I think Dwight Howard was a really nice pickup. I think he decided, you know, I'm going to go ahead and play this role, whatever they want me to play, and I'm going to do well. Okay, and he did. Danny Green was a shell of himself. I'm not exactly sure what I got into him this playoff run, but he was not the Danny Green that, uh, you know, we were used to seeing in the finals from a couple years ago with the Spurs. Javel McGee better, you know, never got in the games. LeBron James, obviously. Alex Caruso, very nice piece. Anthony Davis, obviously. Kyle Kuzma, very nice. Avery Bradley didn't even play in the bubble, okay. Rajon Rondo, 
Jared Dudley, I can't believe that guy has a ring. I swear I could beat him one-on-one. I just, oh my God, Jared Dudley has an NBA ring. What is this world coming to? Quinn Cook, Markeith Morris, Deion Waiters didn't play. Look, I'm not saying, like I said, nice roster. Okay, I'll take it. J.R. Smith. Um, but I'm taking, I'm taking those Kobe teams over this one. And, and I'm not even thinking twice about it. But um, I wanted to go ahead and kind of recap what I... Uh, from last week's show, the comparison that I made between Latrell Sprewell and Jimmy Butler. And my goodness, if if nobody has seen it, then how haven't you? Because it was easy for me to see. And it took me a while, okay? It took me a while to, to, to figure out, oh my God, who does this remind me of? But after I, I, I nabbed it down, I was like, boom, the comparisons just started coming quick, fast, and in a hurry. So Jimmy Butler and Latrell Sprewell. And that is not an insult to Jimmy Butler because I stand for that guy. Trust me, as a Bulls fan, I was telling people in 2011, this guy's going to be an all-star. Believe me, he's going to be an all-star. I was laughed at, but at the end of the day, after five all-star appearances and three all-NBA appearances and four all-NBA, I'm sorry, all-defensive team appearances and a 2014-2015 most improved player, I think I got the last laugh, but uh, listen to your boy. So Jimmy Butler. Really, the only difference between, or one of the differences between he and uh, Latrell Sprewell physically is that he's a much more imposing figure. Jimmy Butler stands at 6'7, 230 pounds as his playing weight. Uh, Latrell Sprewell was listed at 6'5, 190. Okay. So, you know, there's a difference there, but they pretty much played the same position shooting guard, small forward here and there, whatever but their games on the floor are almost mirror images of each other, guys. I'm telling you, think about the last time that you've seen Jimmy finish around the basket with his left hand, okay? Think about the times that you've seen Jimmy Butler use his left hand, all right? I'm not saying he doesn't have a left hand, but he is definitely right-hand dominant, and I want to say he relies on that right hand 90 to 95% of the time, Latrell Sprewell relied on his on his right hand 99.9% of the times, all right? Their handles, their dribbles, very respectable, but nothing to write home about. No, nothing like Kyrie Irving, nothing like, like Steph Curry, okay, nothing like that. But they can definitely put the ball on the floor and be effective with it. Both are attackers by nature, okay? You're winning if you get Jimmy Butler to to shoot a jump shot. You won, you did your job defensively. Same thing with Latrell Sprewell. I mean, remember, both of these guys are athletes. What they want to do is get to the bucket, okay? Latrell Sprewell is probably at his peak a tad bit of a better athlete than Jimmy Butler, okay? He was more of a high flyer. Jimmy Butler not known for his, his, uh, his posterizing dunks. Latrell a little bit more, okay? In terms of their, you know, their, their jump shooting, when they are hot, they're hot, okay? I mean, you saw it throughout this playoff series. You saw it in these finals appearances. Uh, Jimmy Butler, well, not only is when he's hot, he's hot, but he's very, very efficient, okay? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that uh, in game three, when he had that 40-point triple-double, I think he missed something like five or six shots from the field, okay? So, you know, go figure. But um, both very, very good defenders willing to take on the other team's uh, best score, Okay. But um, really nice mid-rates. They don't shoot many threes. Jimmy Butler, not known for his three-point shooting. Uh, actually, not that good of a three-point shooter. And um, 
Jimmy's definitely more of an alpha dog. Okay. Uh, Latrell, a little bit more of a bonehead, <laughs> uh, but they're, they're both dogs, man. They're both dogs. Uh, no, you know, with a pit bull mentality, they don't take no for an answer and they're going to go and get theirs. They have a one track mind and, you know, I'm going to go score and I want to win. I want to play basketball. And, you know, that's what it is. I haven't even gotten into the, uh, their stats yet, but Jimmy Butler, just really quick. Okay. And another thing, they both play for three teams. Everybody knows Golden State, uh, the Knicks, and then you know, Spree had a nice run with the Minnesota Timberwolves that were led by that, uh, you know, by Kevin Garnett, those Kevin Garnett teams. And there was a nice little epic uh, series with the Lakers that they had there. They probably should have won that series. I think it was a Western Conference Finals series. And I want to say it went six or seven games, but um, Spree was Spree was on those teams. So they've both played for three teams, but really quick before I run out of time here in this segment, uh, Jimmy Butler, all right, as a Chicago Bull, his career high points per game was at 23.9, okay? And then I'm not even going to talk about the Minnesota or the – actually, this is this is Jimmy Butler's fourth team. I apologize. This is Jimmy Butler's fourth team because he played uh, with Minnesota and then Philly, and then obviously this is his first year in Miami. So uh, right now with Miami, he's averaging – in the regular season, he averaged 19.9 points per game, just a shade under 20 points. Latrell Sprewa, when he was with uh, Golden State, his career high as a Warrior was 24.2, okay, uh, just above Jimmy Butler's average as a Bull. As a Nick, his best year uh, was his second year with New York. He averaged, actually, it was no, I apologize. Um, it was 2001-2002, points per game. Everybody knows that it was he and Allen Houston pretty much running things over in New York. And his best season as a Timberwolf uh, was, uh, or with the Timberwolves, was 16.8 points per game. Again, none of the, neither of those guys really rely on the three-point ball. But um, Latrell uh, was an all-star. He was an all-star, a uh, four-time all-star, NBA all-star, 92-93 all-rookie, and 93-94 all-defensive team. It's the same player, guys. It's the same player. Jimmy, I definitely take him over Latrell, but it's no insult to either of them to be compared to the two. So um, I just need to, to bring that up. <laughs> and remind you guys about the comparison because it's there and it's valid. But if you don't think so, you're entitled to it, but you're probably wrong. <laughs> In any event, guys, I'm going to go ahead and take a break. I'll be right back on the other side. You're listening to the Michael McCoy show here on Sirius XM channel 145 slam radio. Text and work text and pretend to work text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working who me. Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to LowerYourHBP.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. We'll be back with The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. So that Never one makes a little more sense. Backwards, not even to get. How do you even, like, well, hold on. That might be actually difficult to. Para atrás ni para coger impulso. Don't even go back a step, to, even if it's just to go forward. It seems Always like it's a long forward. explanation. Yeah, it's hard it to. It seems like you have to write. It sounds like two, 250 words explain this sentence. That phrase needs an instruction manual. <laughs>
morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, everybody. Thanks for sticking around with us throughout that last break. You've been listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. And it's about that time we get into college football talk. We're going to go ahead and talk. It was a big day, uh, college football, uh, this past Saturday. A lot of huge games Um, Some upsets and some disappointing Kane fans, to say the least. And um, I figured we talked to uh, someone that I met on Twitter and knows the game very, very well. His name is Art Moreno, and he is a contributor for 305sports.net. Go ahead and check him out on Twitter. Hit that follow button at Kane Films. He's the guy with the Avante Williams Avi, so it's you can't miss him. And um, a little background about Art. He's been a Miami Hurricanes contributor for 305 Sports, web developer, and video editor. He also worked with several top 100 recruits since the 2019 cycle. Coached defensive backs at the high school level, and uh, he loves breaking down the game. So, Art, uh, thanks for joining the show, man. Uh, glad to have you. Yeah, of course, man. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. I love everything you do on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> I love your show as well so really like the larry bluestein show oh thanks man that was actually a lot of fun yeah um, gotta see if he can come on the show again but thanks for that we appreciate it but um we really wanted to talk to you here on the michael mccoy show man because obviously follow each other on twitter you're a good follow really insightful guy and we all know what went down this past weekend on saturday number seven miami now number 13 miami travels up to death valley to face the number one team in the nation and anybody that has a clue about anything knew that miami was they were in for it they were going to have a difficult time uh against clemson and to win that game miami was probably going to have to play their best game uh you know all the, the guys on the field and the coaches on the sideline were going to have to coach their best game as well wasn't the case miami ends up losing that game uh, to the tune of, I believe it was 42 to 17, if I'm not mistaken. I don't even have the box. Yeah. Right now, but yeah. There it is. Oh, here it is. Yes. 42 to 17. It wasn't pretty. So I'm going to start off with a real general question and then we'll go from there. But how did you feel going into the game and how did you feel once the clock hit triple zero? Well, how I felt going in, I mean, I felt confident only because it seemed to be, you know, a different team overall. It's still, you know, still seems to be a different team. I just thought a set wide receiver wasn't going to be such a glaring mismatch. You know, they so Venables stacked the box all night. He took advantage of King's height by, you know, taking away some passing lanes with blitzes. Right. Uh, took away run lanes all night so we couldn't get the run game going. And basically forced us to win with our wide receivers, which, you know, we, we couldn't couldn't do at all. You know, there was a few balls where, Harley and Pope could have worked back to, but um, they just got out-athleted, it seemed like. You know, they 
not a lot of fight from them. Um, <clears throat> uh, same thing with, you know, um, uh, Wiggins when he was in. He's, you know, there was a few contested catches that he had that, you know, really not a lot of fight for. So I think uh, going in, Venables, his game plan was to take away our best options and make us win with our worst. Yeah. And uh, it definitely works. That sounds like a Bill Belichick type of game plan because everybody knows that Bill Belichick takes away what you do best and he kind of forces you to to beat him with your left hand or your offhand, whatever you want to call it. But okay, and I mean, good observation there about the receivers because I mean, I mean, I guess I'm a homer or call me whatever you want, but I had a really good feeling about our receivers. I mean, about everybody that we signed more than others, but. I never thought our receivers would not be able to get separation. That's what it seemed like. And on that one play, yeah, it was kind of disappointing. And that, I think King, in my opinion, threw one bad ball all night. And that was the one to Mallory in which he beat that corner clean off the line, made it look easy. But Mm -hmm. uh, it's just weird that Mallory was able to get separation and guys like Wiggins and Pope and so on and so forth, Harley weren't able to. So my question about that is the following when do you think, or is it now maybe that we start to see more of a youth movement at the wide receiver position? What do you think about that? I would, I would, I would definitely say now, you know, we want to get those guys worked in because we may be seeing Clemson again, you know, in the ACC championship. Yeah. Um, So, you know, you want to get their feet wet and honestly, honestly, you know, I don't think they're going to do too much worse at their worst than, you know, the guys we have now, I mean, you look around all power five football and there's in the three deep, you know, there yeah. seems to be at least one or two guys in all everybody else's three deep that'll at least cont- contest on the, on a 53 man roster in the yes. NFL. Yes. You know, I don't see that in our three deep and they all seem to be the same type of receiver. They, they you know, they all seem to be slot guys. They have really good straight line speed. Um, they're good in space, but you know, other than that, no one really sticks out. No. So um, I, I definitely want to see a youth movement. I mean, I think we saw, we saw Restrepo dying to make a play on punt return, you know, only cause it's, he's not getting any snaps at wide out. Yeah. Uh, the first one, the first punt, punt return by him was a really good high IQ football play. You know, someone, uh, a Clemson player kicked the ball. So by rule, I mean, even if he muffs that ball, it's it's going back to the, the touch spot exactly. or you know if he picks it up and only gets a few yards you know it can go back to that spot if they're negative um so i definitely would like to see a youth movement you know when we did throw downfield to Keyshawn, he was able to get separation he was able to come down with it contested you know that's all seems to be the only contested catch we saw anyone come down with last night which you, know, you can't have happen um there were some adjustments uh, well, actually, no adjustments that were made by Lashley, it seemed like. Mm. Uh, I know last year at SMU, he was able to go up to James Proch a lot. And Proch would come down with uh, multiple contested catches. And he's doing that in the NFL. He's doing the NFL right now. So yes. uh, he doesn't seem to have that this year. So, I mean, I definitely like to see us work more to the tight ends and, and backs if we can in the passing game. Because if we're not going to have that influx of youth at wideout, uh, I think we're going to have the same result when we face anybody worth their salt in the defensive backfield. I hear that. No, very good point, man. I mean, it was it was disappointing to say the least. I'm going to go ahead and look at the receiving numbers. So Miami, as a team, 12 receptions for 121 yards. 
receptions by Keyshawn Smith. Brevin Jordan led the pack with three, well, was tied for the lead with three, along with Mike Harley. And everybody else had one. That everybody else is D. Wiggins, Cameron Harris, Will Mallory, Knighton, and Cheney. Keyshawn uh, Smith led the, led the team in reception yards on that one catch. He was 42 yards. So, you know, that's yeah. that. And the average per reception was a whopping 10.1. So, Definitely have work to do there. And I was, you know, going into the game, I was doing some prep, some prep, I should say, because I was lucky enough, <laughs> air quotes, mm-hmm. to call the game for WVUM. And I mean, it right. didn't go well, but I was doing some homework and nobody in that Clemson secondary was taller than 6'1". Their tallest corner was 6'1". Yeah. Tall. Their tallest safety was 6'1". You're a secondary guy. They obviously did a nice job in the secondary. Um, but what did you see from Miami secondary that had you feeling good well they played tough all night you know out and ivy and blades played mistake-free football for the most part you know until i mean there were some spots late you know when but they were on the field for 40 minutes yeah like <laughs> out of the hour of gameplay the the defense is on the field for 40 minutes and you know going in going into the half we had a chance to, to stay in the game and yes. contend because of the defense you know um Ivy made good plays downfield. There was a play um, against Latson downfield where he made a super nice, you know, he uses athleticism as range to get there. So, you know, with those guys, I think they proved, you know, to, to the fans and, you know, to the coaches and players that they can at least hang with those guys, you know, when, when given legit shots, yep. uh, they can hang with those guys. The, everyone on defense could, you know, I wasn't disappointed with them at all. Um I mean, outside of that long ETN run where it looked like Ivy kind of let up because he thought Bubba may have had the tackle. You know, uh, other than that, I think everyone had a good night. They did what they could for being on the field 40 minutes. Like, that's that's ridiculous. That can't happen. It can't happen, man. I mean, Miami three and out. I don't know what the count was, but it seemed like, you know, way too many times. But yeah. uh, Really quick, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio, and we're joined by Art Moreno of 305sports.net, breaking down, trying to break down the game that happened on Saturday, which Miami did not look good in Death Valley, losing to the number one team in the country, 42-17. to Miami now ranked 13th in the AP poll. Looking at some defensive stats, Bubba Bolden, as you were talking about, Art um, led the way. Ten total tackles, eight solo, two blocked field goals. And, I mean, he's just bloody nose and all, playing like a leader, man. And I'll tell you who else kind of stood out for me was Gilbert Frierson. Well, not just to me, but, I mean, he had a really good game. Six total tackles, three passes defense, and a um, – I'm sorry, three tackles for losses and a pass defense. And he was actually lined up on corner for one play, and he looked a lot yeah. more weak-footed than I thought he would. Yeah, he's a he's a, a fluid guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was in, um, <clears throat> going over the numbers just from last night. Fearson was up against Etienne four times. And he was targeted four times, and he he allowed three catches, but it was only for a little over twenty yards. And one of his pass breakups came on that. So he looked good all night there, and he looked good all night downfield. And like you said, when he was at corner, you know he showed off those fluid hips. So yeah. um, <clears throat> he looked good. And yeah, Bubble Bolden, I mean Bubble Bolden, he would start for Clemson, you know. Like they don't have the right now. They they have some players at safety, but you know he would definitely. He's he's the only player. Well, oh, there's some others that that may break the rotation. I think, but you know he would definitely be started on Clemson. He showed that he's a Sunday. He's going to be playing on Sundays. Absolutely. You know he's got that leadership. He's. I don't think any. 
going into the game, I, I wouldn't have called him the best safety in the country. You know, only because Paris Ford is really good. Yeah. I like um, I like Cisco from um, uh, from Syracuse as okay. well. Andre Cisco, I like him a lot. But after this, man, I mean, I I wouldn't trade Bubba for any of those guys. Nice. That's good yeah. to hear. I mean, and I don't blame you, man. I mean, he, he played with a lot of heart, a lot of emotion. You see him not afraid, afraid to get anybody's face. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think my favorite part of his game is his closing speed, because when he sees something and it's coming, he sees a play developing, he diagnoses it really quick, and he's just beeline straight to the play, to the ball. And I think that's probably my favorite um, part about his game, him being so rangy. But um, I want to talk a little bit more about the defense, man. A couple guys, I mean, it was really only one play in which he absolutely smacked ATN uh, was Sam Brooks. That dude is like a Sean Spence clone, in my opinion, maybe just a yeah. little bigger. But um, can you tell me what you felt about the linebacker play? A lot of people were down on McLeod. And I hate to see that on the, on, on, on the timeline, whether it's true mm-hmm. or not. It just bugs me. But yeah. uh, what about a youth movement at that position, even though I – kind of would disagree with that because McLeod brings so much experience but what about playing faster guys like maybe uh Brooks well I think I mean in our scheme you know since we only play with two true linebackers each time um I I would like to see it's same with the wide receiver like not necessarily like a youth moment but I want to see our our most athletic guys there because with you know what we're not seeing now is you know we don't have the most athletic guys there right now, right. but they're still making. I mean, no, no, McLeod is pretty. He, he, he you know, McLeod's athletic. I'll, you know, I'll give him that. But between the ears, that's what's making them play slow. You know, whereas if you've got an athletic guy at linebacker, his athleticism is going to make up for those miscues mentally. Right. You know, just because he can get there faster. You know, he can close quicker. So, I mean, I would like to see a little more athleticism there. And I think Brooks is going to be that guy. You know, you, you, we saw that that drive where he lit up ECN on the very next play. You know, he looked good in coverage. Um, I think a lot of people's – there was some gripe with I mean, with Baker and, and Manny. And then uh, I know someone asked him recently why he uh, – why, <clears throat> why they choose to pick these guys that, st- that, you know, have their hand down in high school – Mm-hmm. and you know put him at linebacker mm-hmm. and his answer was because there's not a lot of true linebackers playing linebacker in high school mm-hmm. you know which is true well you know the linebackers in high school are a lot smaller right. um <clears throat> and they you know at, at the next level a lot of them don't play that position they'll be a striker or they'll be a safety right uh, the true ones you know you'll see a lot of those you'll see some of those guys you'll see a justin flow mm-hmm. you know some cycles some guys that are just true linebackers they're going to stick there Okay. At high school and college, but you know, other than <clears throat> other than other than those type of guys, you're gonna have to have those guys that you know normally have their hands down in high school and right. and work to play linebacker, and um, I think that's what's kind of hurting us now at linebacker is not having those guys that are quite there yet mentally. I mean, but we have the athletes there. Right. Good point. I would have never even you know realized that way and that youth movement that we're talking about, obviously. Brooks, one of them, Corey Flagg has been playing uh, somewhat. Uh, we obviously have, uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, obviously have Avery Huff, who's, you know, just waiting in the wings, long, rangy yeah. uh, guy who can move sideline to sideline. So we'll see. But um, yeah, man, we, we, we definitely disappointed in not, not so much the outcome, because like I said, I think most Kane fans kind of knew like, okay, this is something that we're probably going to 
not come away happy with at the end of the night. But yeah, how it happened, it was just kind of disappointing. I thought Miami was going to be a little more prepared. And another, you know, by week, whoa, Miami was 0-3 last week. I'm sorry, last year, last season coming off of bye weeks. And I don't think the bye mm-hmm. week hurt Miami this season. I'll tell you what, though, I thought that Ed Reed, and maybe he did. I'm, I'm not at the heck. I'm not in the locker room. I thought that his voice was going to resonate a lot more and, you know, show on, on, on Saturday with these guys, mm-hmm. but it wasn't necessarily the case, but we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We're going to come back on the other side of this break. Got to pay some bills really quick and continue this conversation about uh, the Miami hurricanes and that game on Saturday at Clemson and look ahead to the Pittsburgh, uh, the Pittsburgh game this Saturday at hard rock stadium. So just keep it locked. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back on the Michael McCoy show. One four, I'm sorry, Sirius XM channel one, four, five, Slime radio. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. You and I. Well, you, got the, you forgot the... Oh, the two of us, we're building castles in the sky, just the two of us. Go. You and I. There you go. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145. Talking some college football that took place on Saturday. Really good weekend of college football. If you missed it, uh, we'll talk about it some more here. Um, got Art Moreno on the line with 305sports.net. He's a contributor there for the Miami Hurricanes. Does really good work. I think you should hit that follow button. Kane Films, if you see that, of uh, Avante Williams, Avi, that's the one. And so Art's joining us, and he's helping us breaking down some stuff. Talked a lot about the defense last segment, a little bit about the offense. Uh, we really didn't get to talk about Derek King and how you thought he played 12 of 28, 121 yards, two interceptions. A lot of people were saying that he was throwing bad balls all night. And I think you and I both agree that that wasn't the case. He was kind of trying to make his guys come back, back shoulder. Uh, I think yeah. there was one ball that I was kind of iffy about. And that was the one where Mallory clearly beat his man off the line. That probably the only bad ball there, but uh on the ground, man, he ran for 84 yards, scored for us on the ground. How, how did you think he looked? I, I mean, I think given what he was working with, yeah. um, I mean, there was not much he could have done, you know. <laughs> uh, with, in, <laughs> with everyone out, you know, getting no separation and just no one winning matchups outside, yeah. 
you know, there was, there was nothing there. I, if you if you look at it, if you watch him throw the deep ball this season and the season that he was at Houston, he looked so much more confident going downfield. Uh, and his guys, you know, in Houston made a lot of contested catches and a, and a lot of catches that our guys just don't make, you know. Um, <clears throat> you saw you, not being able to make a play. That just doesn't even sound right. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we – we saw early, you know, they didn't respect the receivers at all early. You know, they stacked the box. They took out – they took away the run lanes, which Lashley's offense, you know, it, it, re- it revolves around getting that run game going. We saw that in the first three games. And then that just opening up the pass game. So, they completely shut down the running game outside of, you know, King's one long scramble. We didn't see Cheney break anything. We didn't see Knighton, um, you know, break away at all. Nope. So, he literally – King had no help the whole game. You know, they took away pass lanes, took advantage of his height, took away run lanes. They bracketed Brevin when he was in. Yeah. Um, if you go back and watch the game, they had so much confidence in their corners playing on our guys. Like it was, it was disrespectful. Like yeah, just, just to be honest, like there comes, and those guys are both, you know, those guys are both not experienced players. You know, they're very, they're highly ranked guys, mm-hmm. but to just put those guys out on an Island like that, yeah. against Miami hurricane wide receivers, man. Like, and, and like you were saying with, there was a, there was a ball that was bad to Mallory that it should have went outside. should have went a little bit, a little bit over. Um, but the other ones, like you said, you know, our wide receivers were able to work back to him and they just got outmatched. They got outclassed. So uh, he didn't get any help. Um, and, and with Lashley, I didn't see a lot of adjustments. You know, it looked like we tried to get that run game going and it just never happened. Oh. You know, with them stacking the box. And even with Baker, we saw, you know, after halftime, he adjusted to ETN. We saw us getting ETN out of the backfield quickly, you know, or to the backfield quickly, rather. Right. No, no real adjustments for him. So I think all around, he didn't get very much help, you know, from any adjustments or his teammates. It was just a, he seemed to be the only thing on offense that, you know, that kept us even, you know, maybe able to score. 7, 14, 14, and 7, scoring by quarter for Clemson. Miami had 10 points at the half, was shut out in the first and third quarters, and then scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Going into the half, 21 to 10, the only reason it looked promising, or not even promising, but at least, you know, Miami was looking like they maybe had a chance, especially because they got the ball back to start the half, you know, after that blocked uh, field goal by Bubba Bolden, his first of two. Uh, went into Ivy's hands and I, I'm not going to lie to you for a second there. I thought Ivy was going to get hawked down. <laughs> yeah. I was just kind of worried about that, but he gets into the end zone. And Miami, you know, if you're a fan of momentum and if you believe in momentum from half to half, Miami had it. But uh, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, the first possession of the third quarter was that interception to can't remember the, the defensive back's name, but it was when King was targeting Wiggins in the end zone, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think it was the first ever the third quarter, second half for Miami. And um, it just was down here from there. Let me just go from, look at some stats really quick. Uh, the, the, the game stats. And if you weren't watching the game, you're going to look at this and be like, Miami was dominated. Miami was dominated. Don't get me wrong. Clemson had 34 first down, 34 first downs. Miami had nine. Miami was four of 15 on third downs. Clemson was eight of 17. Miami only compiled 210 yards of total offense. 121 of them were in the air, 89 on the ground. Clemson, 
550 yards of total offense, 292 in the air, 258 in the ground. Penalties from Miami was just really, really that's just one thing that you cannot yeah. have if you're trying to beat, you know, number one team, especially on the road. I don't care if there's only 19,000 people at Death Valley. You cannot, you cannot have more penalty yards than passing yards. And that's exactly what happened to Miami. They had more penalties than completions. 15 penalties for 135 yards. And then the biggest takeaway, probably, like you said, Art, Clemson had the ball for 38 minutes to, to Miami's 21. And that's just yeah. a recipe for disaster. Yeah, 40 minutes. That yeah. is, is that's I mean, early on, you know, the first drive Clemson had, you know, on that on that Quincy interception, you know, Baker Baker dropping those those defensive ends finally paid off. It looked like, you know, he had that big pick, big athlete play. Yeah, and then I going back the second time. I mean, it doesn't really look like he was in the, Nesta was definitely in the neutral zone the next play, but on that Quincy pick. You know, it, it didn't. It was kind of questionable there. You know, it was a it was a good play, and the same thing that their second drive. You know, we stop them on third and long, but there's an, another penalty. So, <clears throat> I mean, we. I still think you know, d- despite the lopsided score, you know, we could definitely hang with those guys. Uh, I think the only thing that was holding us back, and you know, that's held us back in in, in some games, even though the the first three games we. You know, pretty much blew everybody out is just the the whiteout unit. You know, it's limiting the offense. You know, we can't do a lot. We couldn't even penalize Clemson for playing so downhill the whole game. Like <laughs> a normal team will be able to at least you know get something over the top, but nothing all night. I hear you, man. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just now tuning in and got Art Moreno on the line with me, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Art Moreno is a contributor for 305sports.net. Go ahead and find him on Twitter at Kane Films. And why don't you hit that follow button as well for 305sports.net. They got some good content going on over there. What's up next for Miami is at home versus Pittsburgh. It's a noon kickoff followed by UVA at home. Then they have a two-game road trip at NC State and then at Virginia Tech, who was – they didn't look too shabby themselves on Saturday. Then Georgia Tech, and then finally they close out the season on the – at home, I'm sorry, against UNC, who at the moment is ranked number five in the country. But let's talk about that Pat Narduzzi coach Pittsburgh Panthers team, who is coming off a loss in overtime – at Boston College, but it was a 31-30 loss. They are coming mm-hmm. into Miami on a two-game losing streak, but with a record of three and two. They went ahead and beat those Louisville Cardinals just like Miami did. That score was 23 to 20, a lot closer. But when you look at Pittsburgh, they too have a safety that um, is turning some heads. When you think of a Pat Narduzzi coach team, you think toughness, you think trench play, trench warfare, tough D line is going to go get after it. And um, just a Pittsburgh type of mentality football team. So, what do you what what are you looking for forward to in that game on Saturday, Art? Well, <clears throat> like you said, you know the, the defense is. I think we're going to see a lot of the same since Clemson kind of yeah. gave everybody that blueprint. You know, UAB tried a bit of it. You know, stacking the box, but they just didn't have the athletes to right. compete. It seemed like. But um, they're going to, you know, it's going to be a lot, a lot of the same, I expect, you know, stacking the box, making our wide receivers beat, beat them. 
um, you know, giving, uh, taking away our best options and, you know, making us beat them with our, our worst. So uh, on offense, I, I expect the run game to be a lot better simply because uh, their front seven as far as defending the run uh, isn't as, um, you know, isn't as uh, good as Clemson's, you know, quite frankly. Okay. So we'll definitely see more efficient efficiency in the, in the run game. So, mm-hmm. and that's going to, you know, set us up to, to make plays in the, in the passing game. Uh, my only fear is, you know, when we finally do start, you know, we want to compete, right? We right. want to compete for the playoff. We want to compete for championships. So when our, our guys finally meet those elite level guys again, you know, what's, what's going to happen. So um, I think it's, you know, more of the same with the first three games, you know, we're going to dominate the running game and, you know, kind of win with tempo. Okay. Um, and I mean, after Clemson, I'm not too worried about our defense. You know, I they seem you. to be finally clicking. Um, outside of you know some of the linebacker play, like we talked about, and you know some of the <clears throat> some of the uh, defensive tackles that you know may give up some uh, some run run yards. And I think overall, you know, it should be a a good game for us. And I mean, like you mentioned with Pittsburgh, they're coming off of two two losses, and they were both both tight losses against yeah. North Carolina State. It was 29-30, and then Boston College, it was 30-31. Yeah. So, you know, they're itching for a win. They're, they're definitely going to play as tough. No, no doubt. Again, that game this coming Saturday, the 17th at noon. So get a nice little early breakfast. Make sure you catch that game. Um, you talked about Paris Ford, who is one of the better safeties in the country. Uh, last season had his breakout year with three forced fumbles and three interceptions uh one of those uh interceptions going for a touchdown his longest was 48 yards 11 passes defensed um and totaled 60 tackles this season he has two interceptions already and um, 19 tackles thus far and two passes defense nothing on the fumbles but um that that's a player in their secondary that's looking very 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 good um and like you were saying, man, it's for Miami. You just kind of hope that they bounce back, get back to basics, and not let one loss turn into two or three or four, how we've seen yeah. in you know years past. But Brevin Jordan was, uh, I don't want to say vocal because it technically wasn't vocal, but on, on Instagram, I saw he posted something that's saying, you know what, mark my words, quote me, whatever it is, we're not losing again, and we'll see Clemson in, in, uh, in December. So, I mean, that's what you like to see. That's definitely what you like to see. Yeah. I like to have that attitude rub off. Another thing that I liked that Coach Manny Diaz was talking about in the post game, he said that unlike last year, yes, the guys were disappointed, they were upset, but there was no finger pointing, there was no blaming, and there was no no type of divide there. I think that's huge going forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I mean, I, after seeing you know how we matched up against literally the best. In, in college football, uh, I, you know, I, I definitely expect us to at least come win out and see them again. You know, I'm, I'm right there with Brevin. Um, I know they're frustrated because they were in there until the third quarter. And I know they're frustrated because they weren't be able, they weren't able to get anything generated on offense. So um, with, with Pitt, I mean, they have, you know, Paris Ford, Marquise Williams, uh, their corner, their corners has been really good this year as well. Yeah. Uh, I know he has a pick and, you know, he's not, from you know, from what I've seen in, in in some of the games, he's not targeted too much simply because you know guys don't want to. His guys don't get open. 
<laughs> so he's good at shutting those guys down. So uh, hopefully we can come out and run the ball well. And uh, right. but I, I expect us to do that. They definitely give up yards there. So nothing like Clemson. I'm just gonna have to, man. Um, Kenny Pickett, their quarterback, has thrown for 13. Well, I'm sorry, 1,389 yards on the year, three interceptions, eight touchdowns. Uh, Vincent Davis leads the way, rushing for them with 242 yards on the ground. Uh, their lead receiver, DJ Turner, with 331 reception yards on the year. And uh, we talked about Paris Ford leading the defense with two interceptions. And again, the thing you want to take away the most from a Pat Narduzzi coach team is they're going to come ready to play. And as Art pointed out uh, just a few uh, moments ago, they're on a two-game losing streak, and they're going to be itching. We all know how that is. And uh, back in 2017, if you guys can remember that far back, Miami was riding high. Miami, you know, 10-0 and on the regular season. Friday after Thanksgiving, go up to uh, Pittsburgh and, you know, they, they don't look good. They lose that game. And Pat Narduzzi, I, re I specifically remember that game coming out of halftime. And he called it. He said, oh, we're going to win this game. Like, you can tell that they have found something in, you know, uh, X's and O's wise, and they were going to stick with it. And that was all she wrote. He came out and he yeah. said it. And I will never, ever, <laughs> ever forget that. He just sounded so confident. But, um, <laughs> yeah, man, Miami, Miami's up for him. Miami has a battle. And just to uh, – just to recap that schedule again, it's home against Pitt, home against UVA, two games on the road at NC State, then at 23-ranked Virginia Tech, then to close out the season with two games at home versus Georgia Tech, and then on December the 5th, a UNC uh, team who's currently ranked fifth in the country. Everybody wants to talk about the ACC, man, but these are no gimmies, especially with the way that, you know, the ACT, ACC teams looked this past yeah. Saturday. Um We'll see, man, but we're definitely looking forward to it. And Art, man, I, I wanted to thank you so much again for uh, coming on the Michael McCoy show. And I just hope it's not the last time. No, we'll, we'll definitely do it again. And, you know, I thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Not a time um, problem, man. If you go ahead and check me out on Twitter at Kane Films. And then, like Michael was saying, uh, 305 Sports, uh, Anthony and Michael are doing some really good work there. And um, go come check us out. Please do hit that follow button. They will definitely appreciate the support and it's good content. It's, it's no BS. It's, it's, it's upfront stuff that I can say for sure. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back after this break and um, just stick around. You're listening to the Michael McCoy show on Sirius XM channel 145 Slam radio. You're listening to the Michael McCoy show only on Sirius XM 145 Slam radio. 180 over 111. And I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit stoptextsstoprex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We'll be back with The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Hey, man, if, look, if they pick up Tua Nigga Manuel Apolo too, I'll, I'll be fine with him. But I'm just looking, I'm, I'm looking at the different angles. It doesn't. You I don't call know. him that, I call him Tunga Vailoa, whatever you want to call him. Listen, I don't know if they're 100% sold on Tua Nigga Manuel Apolo. Tunga Vailoa is the next quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. How can you get that name so perfect? Tua Nigga Manuel Apolo? Tua? I can't do it. I'm done. Tongo Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuel Apolo. Tunga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuel Apolo. Tunga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuel Apolo. Tunga Vailoa. See, that sounds much better that way. 
Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. And we're back for another segment of the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Thank you for all who have been tuning in since the beginning of the show, talking about college football with Art Moreno of 305sports.net, talking about the Canes and how they looked up against Clemson and what to expect against Pittsburgh, their upcoming game here on Saturday. Talk a little bit of basketball. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers on winning the 2020 NBA Finals, the 17th championship in franchise history, winning over the Miami Heat in six games. A really good series, by the way. And uh, we're going to talk some NFL football right now. Week five. We are now in week five of the NFL season. Lot to talk about. Uh, where to begin? I mean, we got... Russell Wilson doing it again, guys. And I mean, it's just the guy's a machine, okay? Um, my Canes disappointed me, but surely my defending NFC champion, San Francisco 49ers, they're not going to let me down versus the lowly Miami Dolphins, right? Right? No. Um, let's see. Dak goes down in uh, Dallas's win over the New York Giants, suffering pretty sure what seems to be a season ending injury we'll talk about that how about them browns what the cleveland browns all right we'll talk about them we're gonna have our weekly tom brady versus bill belichick watch because everybody that's been paying attention to the show ever since it's been airing on sirius xm channel 145 knows that i feel the most intriguing storyline going into the season was how Tom Brady and Bill, Bill Belichick will fare without one another. So we've been keeping a weekly uh, tab on them. So we're going to continue that. Uh, let's see what else the MVP outlook tonight's Monday night football game. And uh, let's get started. How about we go straight to the Colts and the Browns? Wow, man, the Browns the last time Cleveland started four and one was in 1994. When who was their head coach? Bill Belichick was the head coach for Cleveland. Guess who the defensive coordinator was for that team? Nick Saban. No wonder they have such a good relationship right now, right? Uh, you see a bunch of, not a bunch of, but a good amount at least, and 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 guys that contribute from that Alabama Crimson Tide program over to the uh, over to the New England Patriots. Uh, Another note about the Browns, their current four-game win streak. Guys, the Browns have scored 30 points in each one of those games. That is the longest streak in the NFL. Well, not in the NFL, I'm sorry. That is the longest streak in franchise history since 1968. No, I did not come up with that stat. Got that from ESPN.com. Uh, 
who got it from the Elias Sports Bureau, by the way. Yeah, there's actually people that do this for a living, which is kind of crazy, right? Uh, it just kind of, can you imagine the imagination that has to go into thinking about these stats? Like, hmm, like, let me think. Like, let, like you got to have a really, really open imagination for that. But I want to finish talking about the Browns because they're surprising a bunch of people, man. Winning against the Colts, uh, they came in three and one into this week. Colts came in uh, three and two. I'm sorry. Colts came in three and one. Uh, Browns came in three and one. Browns walk away four and one. Colts walk away three and two. And uh, Browns winning that game 32 to 23. Baker Mayfield looking better every week or good every week. Not as inconsistent as we've seen in years prior. Uh, 21 of 37 for 247 yards, two touchdowns, Kareem Hunt, 20 carries, 72 yards, Jarvis Landry, four receptions, 88 yards. Last week, I went ahead and said that when everybody's healthy, when everybody's uh, good to go, especially when he's good to go, he being Odell Beckham Jr., when his head is screwed on right, I have Odell Beckham as being the most explosive and best wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, he had five receptions for 58 yards, no touchdowns, but he did have nine targets. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, the Browns looking good doing it. And in terms of their, where they, where they look in the standings, where are those stand, standings? I had them up right here. Here we go. So through week five, let's take a quick look at the NFL standings. Actually, no, just at this division really quick with the Browns. Um, competitive division, at least for the top three teams, four teams in the division in the AFC North. You got an undefeated Pittsburgh team at 4-0. And then the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns are tied <clears throat> with a 4-1 record. And then the lowly Cincinnati Bengals one 3 and a kiss your stepsister tie, one tie. So um, that takes care of that. Brown's looking good. And okay, they're shutting up some people, me being one of them. The Vikings, man, the Vikings and the Seahawks. Holy crap, what a game. Russell Wilson, like I said, to start off the segment, he does it again. This guy just seems to pull one out of his you-know-what, okay? It's no longer luck at this point when you do it over and over and over again. I mean, you're just, you're, you're a comeback artist. You're a comeback master. So the Vikings are now sitting at one and four after losing to the Seattle Seahawks, who are now, ladies and gentlemen, five and oh, for the first time in franchise history. They go down, I'm sorry, they go ahead and come back to beat the Minnesota Vikings at home after trailing 13 to nothing. They win that game 27 to 26 russell wilson leads seattle on a 94 yard game winning drive that's sick with 100 and, I'm sorry, not 100 with a minute and 57 to play uh that man uh has thrown i'm sorry he he brings his team to come back and like i said they were down 13 to nothing he has thrown 16 passing touchdowns in the first four games and get this, he's on pace to throw for 64 touchdown passes this season. Yes, that will be an NFL record. And yes, the NFL record is held by none other than Peyton Manning, who threw 55 touchdowns. Wow. 
I mean, 64, like, it's just crazy how we're watching the game change, you know, before our eyes continuously. And every season, we all know how basketball is changing. And then now football, um, I mean, you're seeing numbers like this. It's just like, like, what the heck is going on, right? Um, so, yeah, that's what Russell Wilson is doing. As I said, they were down 13 nothing at the half. Uh, but Seattle scored three touchdowns in a minute 53 uh, span of game time, which is lightning quick. Uh, that's the 34th career fourth quarter or overtime uh, comeback win, including the postseason for Russell Wilson, another insane stat. His sixth career go-ahead uh, passing touchdown in the final minute of regulation. And get this, he's never received not even one first place MVP vote. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. I don't get it. Is it really, really just because of the simple fact that, you know, he's out West in the great Northwest in Seattle, that he just doesn't get that type of attention. I, if that's the case, big, if that's the case, I find that to be highly irresponsible by the people that have the responsibility of uh, voting for an NFL MVP. I mean, that's just crazy. How do you overlook a guy with that's had the career that he's had? Multiple comeback victories. The guy's as steady as they come. Overall quarterback. I mean, a good overall quarterback, you know, nice arm, great leadership, great accuracy, has won a Super Bowl, uh, scrambles to throw, uh, dual threat quarterback. I mean, he does it all. He does it all. I should know I'm a 49er fan, and he's just terrorized me for years. Um, Let's talk about Dallas, man. This is probably the story of the day so far. And really, really horrific news coming out of Dallas Cowboys camp. But um, the Dallas Cowboys, they win their their matchup against the New York Giants, 37 to 34. Dallas now sitting at two and three on the season. And the New York Giants are still searching for their first win of the season. But uh, this is the New York Giants' seventh straight loss to Dallas, which is pretty, pretty, pretty embarrassing. <laughs> but the story of the day comes from, uh, I'm sorry, the story of the day comes from this game in which Dak Prescott suffers a compound fracture of his right ankle, along with a dislocation. And this happened in the third quarter in which he was carted off on and, you know, he was seen crying and, you know, it was just a really, really tough scene for Dallas Cowboy fans. I'm sure his teammates felt a certain way but he held his fist up high, uh, you know, signaling he'll be okay. And then, you know, a little bit of encouraging news. There was a picture taken from his brother's Instagram account. He went ahead and posted that. And, you know, they both were all smiles. And I'm not sure that that was before or after the surgery. I take it it was probably before, but um, he did have surgery. Uh, they said the surgery went well. Adam Shafter reported that the surgery did go well. And uh, it's just crazy when you think about that um, today, given that Alex Smith made his return to the field, um, the same is the same day that Dak got injured. You know, I mean, it's it's just crazy. And I mean, it would probably it's probably only natural to try to compare, you know, the two injuries, but they're they're not the same at all because Alex Smith making his return to football, he suffered a broken tibia and fibula and then he dealt with a life-threatening infection after his 17 surgeries guys 
Yeah, he had 17 surgeries. We saw him today. I can't believe the man is walking, okay? And probably, he probably can't either. But I mean, it's good to see medicine has come a long way. You're talking about a guy that had a total replacement of the right hip in December of 2016. And I was jogging by March of 2017, okay? I didn't push anything. I didn't push anything. And by June of 2017, I was, I was back playing basketball. And you would never tell that I had a complete hip replacement. It's, you would never tell. It's just crazy. But um, like I said, thank God Adam Schefter reported that the surgery did go very well, okay? Um, it is a four to six month recovery timetable for that type of injury. And um, a couple notes on Dak, man, uh, really want to go over his, his achievements so far throughout the career. And again, this information I got from ESPN, who got it from the Elias Sports Bureau, but got to give them that credit. So for Dak Prescott, that man has started every game. Okay, every game since being drafted in 2006, I'm sorry, 2016, uh, since the start of his rookie season, he started 69 games. And that number, get this, guys, that number is good for sixth on the all-time list. Peyton Manning is number one with 208 starts. But uh, guess who's second? Russell Wilson, 133. <laughs> Russell Wilson just seems to pop up on every stat if you if you think about it, but um, Dak Prescott also uh, has 42 wins, okay? Uh, only Tom Brady and Russell Wilson have more than that since 2016, 42 wins for Dak Prescott and the Cowboys since he's been a, a starter. Um, also has 10 games with 90.0 or better QBR, which is the most in the NFL, those being those 10 games. Uh, this season, before you know this horrific injury that he just suffered on Sunday, he was on pace for a career season. Uh, through Sunday, he has thrown for 1,856 passing yards, which is fourth most all time, ladies and gentlemen, through five games. All time. Think about all the great quarterbacks, all the guys that have have uh, have had great careers or great single seasons he is the fourth i'm sorry he's 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 done that through five games the fourth most all time 1856 passing yards that's that's kind of sick I, I get it it's a passing league but still you know it's it's a record and it is what it is um he's the first player in nfl history okay to get this with 425 passing yards in three consecutive games even that, I mean, you, you think about that number and you wouldn't think Dak Prescott. I mean, not me, <laughs> definitely not me. I'm probably thinking, uh, heck, Patrick Mahomes or, or, or Peyton Manning, somebody like that. Maybe even Drew Brees. That's probably the guy that I would think of, Drew Brees, because we all know when the Saints had that run of, I mean, they still have a very decent offense, but that year that they were just unbeatable in the Superdome, in the, in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, uh, it, I probably would, I probably would have bet that that uh, that quarterback was Drew Brees, but it isn't. It's Dak Prescott. All right. Um, this season, 
He has completed 151 of 222 passes, which is good for 68%, an insane number if you ask me. Again, 1,856 yards, nine touchdowns, and four interceptions, all right? And everybody knows the controversy that he had, not controversy, but kind of back and forth between he and management, he and Jerry Jones, how uh, he's playing under the franchise tag right now. I mean, he signed a $31.4 million exclusive franchise tender in June, okay, after betting on himself and passing up uh, Dallas's offer reportedly, reportedly of five years, $175 million. That number, by the way, that figure, or those figures were both refuted by Dax reps and the Dallas Cowboys. So take that for what you want. I'm already out of time for the for this segment. I'm going to go ahead and roll these topics over to the next one, and we'll finish out the Michael McCoy show on the other side of the break. So I appreciate you listening. We'll be right back. And just keep it locked. Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. <laughs> the dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. I mean, really, it really apologist. comes down to... I'm going to make an apologist image for you, bro. Because everything that I say is, oh, but LeBron had to do this. And if he, if he had to jump over a car. Isn't LeBron the king? And again, LeBron jump over the Empire State Building? He probably could, but why probably. would he do it? But why doesn't he jump over the Empire State Building to win a slam dunk contest? Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Okay, guys, thanks for sticking around with me throughout that last break. And you are listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio in for the last segment of the afternoon. And again, thanks for all that have stuck around with me from the beginning of the show, listening to uh, Art Moreno and I break down some Hurricanes Clemson and then uh, definitely some NBA Finals talk and to cap off the show some NFL week five talk. So didn't get to finish some topics that I wanted to get into in the previous segment. And everybody here knows that I'm a 49er fan. And after Saturday's just embarrassing performance and showing on the field in Death Valley, at least I had my 49ers to fall back on because they were playing the Dolphins at home. I'm thinking, oh yeah, I mean, 
got Jimmy Garoppolo coming back and a whole bunch of guys that were hurt in the first couple of weeks of the season, they're coming back. So this should be, this should be nice. Only thing is, so Jimmy Garoppolo was, he, you know, he was suffering from a high ankle sprain and uh, you know, a lot of medical experts say that that's one of the worst injuries for a quarterback to suffer because especially when he comes back, you know, the first game when he comes back, they're probably going to end up sailing the ball and, you know, because of mechanics, you know, the way you kind of plant, it doesn't favor quarterbacks and everything like that. And let me tell you something, man, Jimmy Garoppolo absolutely proved that theory to be correct because Jesus Christ, they did not look good. They being my 49ers, they did not look good at all at home. Okay. And the last thing that I thought I was going to see was an embarrassing and dominating 43 to 17 loss at home. My Niners are now 0-3 at home. The, the defending NFC champions are 0-3 at home. Both victories for them coming on the same field, that MetLife field in New York, beating the Jets and the Giants in that order. And I just, it, it sucks, okay? You lose to the Dolphins, who are just not a good team right now. I mean, they're playing, they're overachieving. They're two and one away from home, two and three, uh, two and three overall. And so the Canes lose 42 to 17 on Saturday and the Dolphins one up that and make my Niners look like the Canes losing, I'm sorry, winning 43 to 17. What the heck, where did this come from? Where the hell did it come from? The score at the half was 30 to seven. 30 to seven, the 49ers got shut out in the first quarter and in the final quarter of play. And I just like, does anybody have Ryan Fitzpatrick on their as their on their as their fantasy quarterback? Because I mean he's been playing lights out for the past few weeks. Okay. 22 of 28 for 350 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. What in the world is going on? I mean, <laughs> Saw Jimmy Garoppolo looks so bad that he got benched seven for 17, 77 yards, two interceptions, replaced by CJ Bethard, who went uh nine of 18. I'm sorry, yeah, nine of 18 for 94 yards and a touchdown. Raheem Mostert, who I have as my fantasy running back, uh, contributed 90 yards on the ground on only 11 carries. Um, I swear to God, Matt Breida had something to do with this win for the Dolphins because, oh, my God. I mean, he only had nine touches for 28 yards, but Matt Breida was a member of the Niners last year. And now with the Dolphins, that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, he 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 spilled the beans, told 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 uh, told Flores, you know, all these secrets that the Niners got. And it just what can, I'm, I'm going to change the channel. I'm going to change the channel. I'm going to talk about something else because that game just sucked. It really, really sucked. I didn't watch it. I'm not going to sit here and act like I did. But just knowing that they got dominated like that just really didn't make for a good weekend football-wise for myself, okay? Um, goodness gracious Christ. So let's talk about Bears-Bucks. That game took place on Thursday night. And like I said in the last segment, we here on the Michael McCoy Show like to talk about I think what is the biggest storyline going into the season and I will be paying attention to it all throughout. And that is how uh, Tom Brady does without Bill Belichick, vice versa. So, like I said, this game was played last Thursday on the eighth. 
Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay, as a lot of me, as a lot of people like to refer to it as the Buccaneers traveled to Chicago to take on the Bears was a pretty good game was actually a really good game. All right, I'll take that back a really good game. Nick Foles got the start. Uh, He is now the starting quarterback because Mitch Trubisky uh, has been benched, a guy that never should have been drafted as high as he was, especially we consider he was drafted ahead of guys like uh, Deshaun Watson. And I think Pat Mahomes went in that same draft. Just kind of ridiculous when you think about it. But uh, the Bears win 20 to 19. They're four and one, two and one at home. The Bucs fought a three and two and one and two on the road. They're other loss on the road came in the opening game of the season when they were matched up against the Saints. And uh, Tom Brady didn't look half bad. I mean, he didn't have a Brady-like performance, but he did go 25 of 41 for 253 yards and a touchdown with no interceptions. He was harassed, got sacked three times for 20 yards. Nick Foles looked good, uh, 30 of 42 for 243 yards, threw a pick and a touchdown. Also got sacked three times. Ronald Jones looking good on the ground, man. This is a fantasy running back that I drafted. It ended up dropping and somebody else picked him up. And then I lost to the guy that picked him up. (sighs) Just my luck. But he runs for 106 yards on the ground on 17 touches. And um, like I said, just a good, you know, overall game all around. Tom Brady was really, really frustrated. He was really, really pissed off. Uh, You know, the offense didn't, couldn't get things going. And I mean, it's kind of hard to do that when you think of the way in which the game was dominated by uh, by Khalil Mack. I mean, that dude is just, if you can carve out an NFL linebacker, you would probably do so in his shape. I mean, the guy is built like a Greek God. He had a serious, he had a serious game. Um, two, ta- I'm sorry, three tackles, two of them solo two tackles, I'm sorry, two sacks and obviously two tackles for loss. And obviously he, he also deflected a pass, but it hit the quarterback three different times. Obviously uh, Tom Brady being affected big time by him. Everybody knows that Tom Brady isn't the most fleet footed of guys. So having that guy, Cleo Mack coming at you looking like a Mack truck, it's just, I mean, take a kneel, take a, take a knee and just <laughs> pray for the best. But um. Moving on, I wanted to talk about uh, the MVP outlook because, I mean, there's there's a couple guys you can kind of point to, okay? You can kind of point to, but like I said in the last segment, Russell Wilson is kind of just, put it this way, he would win that award if it was handed out today with no, 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 no discussion. Anybody that would kind of refute that is probably the biggest Russell Wilson hater you could find on this earth and why would you be that i mean the guy is a pleasure to watch stand-up guy role model citizen from you know from everything i hear and so um let's talk about that because as always we know it's a quarterback driven league and even in college football it's a passing it's a passing sport now but let's talk about uh let's talk about the guys that are in the running for for the nfl mvp obviously like i said uh Russell Wilson, okay, he's probably tops on the list. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is another one. Josh Allen coming out of nowhere, okay? Josh Allen coming out of nowhere, and I'll get to those stats in a second once this internet decides to act right with me. 
happens at least once throughout the show. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. So yeah, Aaron Rodgers, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Russell Wilson and, uh, and Josh Allen. Those are the three quarterbacks right now that you're probably thinking about that uh, have any say in the NFL MVP. So let's start off with, let's start off with, uh, with Russell Wilson. The guy has thrown for 19 touchdowns in five games. That's that's a big deal <laughs> when you especially consider that the Seattle Seahawks are undefeated. OK, they're five and oh. And again, that's for the first time in franchise history. They've had times in which they've won five games in a row at some point throughout the season. But they have never in franchise history started, had the luxury of starting five and oh, where well, here we are. Twenty twenty. It's the first time Russell Wilson has completed seventy two point eight. Let's just call it 73, 73% of his passes, 1,502 yards on the year, averaging literally a shade over 300 yards a game uh, at 300.4, 19 touchdowns, three interceptions, and uh, a QBR of 80.8. And like I said, a master of disaster in terms of coming from behind. No lead is safe with that guy much like uh, Patrick Mahomes last season. I'm a 49er fan. I should know. I saw it with my own eyes uh, throughout the Super Bowl. I'm still not over that. And apparently the Niners aren't either sitting at two and three, God damn it. But um, Russell Wilson, man. And you know what? I would make a case. I can make a case. It's just kind of hard to after seeing Russell Wilson's numbers. But Aaron Rodgers has yet to throw an interception this year. He has thrown... 13 touchdowns. He's only been sacked three times. Okay. He's thrown for 1,214 yards, 303.5 pass yards per game. And he's completing 70 and a half percent of his, of his passes. You want to know the argument that I can make for him over uh, Russell Wilson is that Aaron Rodgers is doing it with receivers. You've probably never heard of except for one, obviously, obviously. But other than that, you know, everybody was calling for, um, for 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 the for the Packers to draft or sign weapons for him, they go ahead and draft a quarterback. <laughs> They're already thinking of the future and you know when Aaron Rodgers is, is going to go ahead and leave the franchise. But he's doing more with less, if you ask me. But like I said, if I had a vote, I definitely would give it to Russell Wilson. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, the other one in five games, uh, he's thrown for 1,474 yards, okay, uh, completing 63.7% of his passes for an average of 7.6 yards of completion, uh, 294 yards a game, and uh, 13 touchdowns as well with one interception. QBR of 86.3. That's the defending Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP. Um, why not? Why not, right? But Josh Allen, uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy that was drafted with uh, a whole bunch of physical upside, but um, his accuracy was an issue, and so was the level of competition that he went up against. Uh, but my God, he's 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 doing it for the Buffalo Bills. He's doing it, and we'll get into standings later. But the Bills are looking good um, in the standings. They're four and zero. Okay. 4-0, 2-0 at home, 2-0 on the road, 2-0 in the division. Uh, nobody saw that coming. 
nobody saw that coming. I mean, I'm, I will say that if anybody had to pick, you know, uh, an AFC East winner, it was between the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. I had the Patriots winning that division. It's only, it's only week five, guys, and the Patriots are two and two. Okay, Cam Cam Newton uh, missed last week because he tested positive for COVID. They went ahead and lost that game, but this division is far from being wrapped up. Like I said, we're only in week um, week five, so there's a lot to happen. I don't think these teams have played each other yet. Actually, no, they haven't played each other yet. So um, let me get back to Josh Allen's stats because they're pretty they're pretty impressive. They're pretty impressive, and he has thrown for. Uh, well, I'm sorry, completed 70.9% of his passes. So all that talk about his accuracy, I mean, he's getting it done. He's thrown for 1,326 yards on the year, 331 yards per game. Of all the quarterbacks that I've mentioned, uh, he has the goods. He's number one on the list in terms of yards per game in the air, 331.5. Wow. 12 touchdowns one interception you notice the common thread between the guys that i'm mentioning right they barely turn the ball over okay as a matter of fact the one that would probably win the mvp right now russell wilson has a most interception between the guys that i've mentioned russell wilson aaron Rodgers, patrick mahomes and josh allen uh aaron Rodgers is the only one yet to throw an interception but josh allen uh quietly raising some eyebrows like okay we gotta pay attention to this guy but how about this everybody knows that it's easy to give an mvp award to a quarterback we all saw Lamar Jackson win it last season um, in only his second season in the NFL but if you had to pick a guy that wasn't a quarterback who would it be to win the MVP well according to an article by uh, Nick Shook of NFL.com this person doesn't even play offense (laughs) it's uh, Miles Garrett former number one overall pick of the Cleveland Browns and boy, um, those judging Miles Garrett just by sacks, they're missing an important part of the equation because Garrett is causing problems for offensive, I'm sorry, opposing offenses, even when he's not sacking the quarterback. And this is evidenced by his six turnovers caused on pressures this season. Um, that mark just so happens to match the league leading totals compiled by Pittsburgh's Bud Dupree and Tampa Bay Shaq Barrett last season. And we're only a quarter of a way through 2020. All right. Garrett has five sacks so far in the year. That's an average of five sacks. I'm sorry, one sack a game. So there's an outsider and outlier. I mean, he's not going to win the NFL MVP. There's never happened that I don't, I don't think I have to look that up. Let me not, let me not speak too soon, but I don't, if my memory serves me right, I don't think that, uh, a defender has ever won that award i'm gonna go ahead and check i'm running out of time but really quick look through the nfl standings i already talked about the afc east but i'll run it through again uh bills 4-0 pats 2-2 dolphins 2-3 and and the jets have yet to win a game uh the afc north that's pittsburgh's division right now they're 4-0 baltimore and cleveland are tied at 4-1 and the bengals are 1-3-1 the afc south the tennessee titans are also undefeated three and all the Colts lost their second game they're three and two and the Houston Texans and Jacksonville Jaguars are at the bottom of the barrel one and four AFC West you got the Chiefs four and one the Las Vegas Raiders just beat them they're three and two and the Chargers and the Broncos round out the division at one and three the Cowboys lead the NFC East 
lead the NFC East at two and three. And then you got the Eagles one, three and one in second place. Washington is one and four and the Giants have yet to win a game at 0 and five. What a sorry division that is. The Green Bay Packers four and oh, uh, followed by the Bears at four and one, the Lions and the Vikings at the bottom at the division with one win each. You got the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers three and two tied with the Carolina uh, Panthers. They're also three and two. Saints at two and two and the Falcons have yet to win a game. Their coach just got fired. Go figure. Uh, talked about the Seahawks and their undefeated record in the NFC West. You got the Rams at four and one, the Cardinals three and two and the Niners at two and three. That pretty much wraps up the show, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you sticking around with me throughout the entirety of it, if you did. And if you didn't, you can catch it on iTunes later on today. And um, I hope everybody has a great rest of the week, a great Monday. And you all stay safe. We'll catch you next time, uh, same place, same time next week. And uh, hope you had a good time listening to the Michael McCoy Show. Keep it locked. The views and opinions expressed on the Michael McCoy Show are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.